This is the Educated Home Buyer. Everything you need to know to buy right, borrow smart, and build wealth through real estate ownership. Welcome back, everybody. It is Wednesday night, and this is the Educated Home Buyer Live. We are going to have a little bit of a different experience this week. First off, my co-host, Mr. Jeb Smith, expert realtor, is traveling with his lovely bride in Nashville this week and will not be able to join us tonight. Um, and then on top of that, we are testing something tonight and only streaming to the Educated Home Buyer podcast. So on a typical week, about two-thirds of the audience uh, finds us through Jeb's YouTube channel. So we will see how many of you show up. For those of you that are able to find your way here, um, should be a smaller audience, should be able to answer all of your questions this evening. So uh, jump in there, get your questions in, and we will answer uh, as many as you guys have tonight, because I do expect there will be fewer questions. But we had some important news today with the Fed meeting. And let's see if I can get my layout here correct. There we go. Um, important news with the Fed meeting today. Much as we expected, absolutely nothing happened. The Fed did not raise rates. Um, but you will see the title of tonight's show, The Fed Just Screwed the Housing Market. Well, that's because they are continuing to insist that we might have a repeat flare-up of inflation. And despite the fact that all evidence shows that inflation is moderated, moving in the right direction, and then we have uh, fairly historically restrictive real interest rates, meaning the actual federal funds rate less the rate of inflation is at about two and a half percent right now, just a hair under two and a half percent, which historically that's not high, but that has been trending down over the last 40 years. And we are back up to what's been normal for the last 20 years or so. And uh, for a million different reasons we won't go into tonight, we would expect them to be lower. Um, as inflation continues to moderate, we will see higher and higher real rates, uh, more restrictive policy without the Fed hiking anymore. So we're at four or five meetings in a row here that they have not hiked, um, but without cutting, we are going to see uh, additional restrictive policy and this mythical soft landing that everyone is dreaming, hoping, imagining is going to happen gets more and more likely to be a recession as we go. So did they actually screw the housing market? Let's jump into the data and take a look at it here. So this, I'm not going to read you the whole thing. If you want to, you can Google uh, the policy statement. So every month, the Fed meets, not every month, uh, it's eight times a year. So eight meetings every year. And after they, they meet on Tuesday and on Wednesday, they finish up, make their policy decision. They prepare a statement. The Fed uh, Chairman Powell, for now, comes out and prepares, reads that prepared statement or releases the prepared statement and then comes out and takes a question and answer session from the media. So this, if you see all this red, that's everything that changed. Month over month, when we show you guys this, um, I like to throw, throw it up there, but you generally see about maybe 20% as much red here as what you see today. So they made some pretty significant changes if you want to read it. Um, a lot of news outlets will show you side by side where you can look at it. But let's take a peek at what this looks like. Um, the important piece here, so uh, that is, is the highlighted portion. That is, is what Powell did that kind of set the market on its heels. Um, we'll see if he uh, and the rest of the Federal Reserve Board are going to be able to stick to their guns on this. 
The highlighted portion there at the bottom says the committee does not expect it will be appropriate to reduce the target range until it has gained greater confidence that inflation is moving sustainably towards 2%. That is a silly take. Um, and we're going to go through numbers. It's not, not just me saying, hey, that's ridiculous. We're going to go through the numbers. And if you are a regular listener of the podcast, next Tuesday's episode, Jeb and I recorded it yesterday before he left, is basically exactly on this topic. What's the Fed's problem? Why are they keeping rates higher for longer than needed? And when is this pivot likely to change? And the funny thing, yesterday, the Fed funds futures market, which we'll show those numbers here in a second, was expecting basically 50-50. As of this morning, it was about 50-50 whether the Fed would cut in March. My take is they should and would cut in March. This is Powell saying, bro, we are not cutting in March. So let's see how that plays out. Um, but looking at this, uh, whenever we have the, the monthly meetings, and it is an important meeting, uh, I like to go through here and see what were the most important takeaways from that Q&A session, his prepared statements and the Q&A session. So Chairman Powell says policy rate is well into restrictive territory. Well, congratulations. We all knew that. But it is premature to say monetary policy is restrictive enough. But the funny thing is, he follows up to say, we believe policy rate likely is at its peak for the cycle. So it's premature to say they're restrictive enough, but they're likely at their peak and not going to hike any further. We believe it will be appropriate to dial back at some point this year. Go back to the last meeting in December, the dot plots where they released their expectations for this year. They said the same. In the second half of the year, we're likely to see three quarter point cuts. So not a whole lot changed. Based on the meeting today, I don't think likely we will have a rate cut in March, which supports what uh, they had in the prepared statement. So interesting additional details here. I am not in a position to put a number on how many months of low inflation are needed to have confidence. We won't keep it a secret when we have confidence on inflation. So hold that thought because here in a couple of minutes, we're going to go through some really important numbers on PCE, which we got earlier this week, late last week, um, but some three-month, six-month, eight-month data, and then what's likely to happen here over the next three, four, five, six months. And we have to ask ourselves, what more certainty do they need uh, at this point? Um, looking there, 12-month inflation is above target, but seem to be getting on track to it, really. Um, we're not looking for inflation to tap 2% once, we're looking for it to settle out at 2%. We've had six months of good inflation data, which again, we'll take a look at, and the expectation is of more to come. Need to make sure that what we are seeing is a true signal. So you guys will know, we've, we've said it on here, that people ha have said for the last year that the Fed is not going to cut until they break something. Nothing is broken. Nothing is broken. We're going to go through all the data we see. Data is moderating, but we're not seeing anything in the current data, the government statistics that they released that's telling us that the market is crashing, the economy is crashing, the jobs market is turning around, but we're definitely seeing some high frequency data, some private data, whether it's ADP, indeed.com, we got the ADP numbers, we're going to look at that here in a second. But um, Powell says, I am more concerned that inflation will stabilize at an elevated level. It's a reasonable concern, but we are super erring on the side of caution at this, at this point. So we are getting to time now that the questions and the pace of runoff is coming into focus. So in addition, in, in addition to setting the policy rate, the Fed funds rate, they also can do monetary action. You guys saw this during COVID. They purchased treasuries. They purchased mortgage-backed securities. They put liquidity into the market. For the last year and a half, they've been selling and selling aggressively. What he's saying, we may 
be to the point where we slow or stop that. And we're going to look at some data on that. Uh, we do expect growth will moderate, meaning GDP. We saw the fourth quarter GDP number was at 3.3. Um, definitely expect to moderate. And we see some things uh, coming that would lead us to believe the second half of this year is going to be much slower. But um, looking again at, at the FedWatch tool, this isn't a guarantee. These are just the current probabilities of people betting with real money in the futures market. So now you can see for that March meeting, 65% chance uh, the markets are saying that we see no decrease. Still a 34, 35% chance, but that's down 15% just from when Fed, uh, Fed, Powell, Fed Chair Powell started talking this morning. So now we're looking at May. They believe 60% chance of a quarter percent cut, 40% chance or 36% chance of a half point cut. So despite that they got pushed out further, they've increased the likelihood of seeing a bigger cut if they push it out. Um, and then you can just follow the probabilities the rest of the year. It looks like they continue to expect we're going to cut. And the market here by the December meeting, the greatest likelihood is uh, still to see 150 basis points of cuts through the year. So again, it's not a guarantee. Doesn't mean these guys have a crystal ball, but people betting with real money, not just saying, hey, here's my opinion. And just another look at the same information. So uh, we have a 65% chance of no change at the next meeting and then 100% the rest of the year. That's what the market is saying. Um, we'll see. The Fed The Fed has had different ideas and uh, the market is probably more right on what should be happening than what the, the Fed is looking at. Um, we have a fun one here. My friend Alexis jumped in here and is saying hello on uh, our weekly live. Hi, Alexis. Alexis is often an expert realtor in Memphis, Tennessee, and she is often a guest with us on the Vetted VA Lives that we do on my channel on Tuesday nights and on the Vetted VA channel. If any of you are veterans and you're watching this and you're not yet a member, big Facebook group on uh, Vetted VA on Facebook where there's experts in real estate and mortgage in all 50 states there to answer your questions and make sure you're using your VA homeownership or mortgage benefits to the best of your ability. But with that, that's what we're looking at here for the rest of the year. Interestingly, this chart shop showed up in my inbox this morning, takes on average eight months from the last Fed hike to the first Fed cut. If they were to cut in March, that would be exactly eight months. We don't have an April meeting. So if we go up to May, we're looking at 10 months. I have still not given up on this Fed cut, but it is looking like uh, May is the greatest probability at this point. We had these numbers come out last week, and this is the important number that I was telling you we want to look at. So the headline year over year is at 2.6%. The core is slightly higher than that, 2.9%. So core is when we back out food and energy. So food and energy have actually been good news over the last 12 months, especially energy, not as much food. Um, so the core is higher. But what we want to look at this, um, Powell says we remain strongly committed to bringing inflation back down to our 2% goal. Well, if you run this number on a six-month basis, we've seen 1.85%. If you look at eight months, it's 2.05%. And we've gone through this with you guys before of how this is calculated. Every month, one month-over-month -month number falls off. So when next month's data comes out, February of 2023 falls off, February of 2024 comes on. I guess next month's data would be January, coming on in January, falling off. But when we look at that, over the next five months, we have a 0.5, a 0.4, 0.3.3.3. So we have 1.3, we have 1.8 falling off. And over the last six months, we've averaged 0.15. So if that were the case, 
you have a full percent dropping off there. So if the next six months average 0.2%, which is more likely, we've seen some increase in oil prices, there's some pressure on shipping costs, some other things, but that puts core PCE at 2.3% in the next six months, very, very close to that 2%. And that then would put real rates much, much higher than what we're seeing right now. Instead of 2.4, we're at about 3.4. And without the Fed hiking, again, monetary policy getting much more restrictive. This is the same chart just showing you we peaked out on CPI at 9.1. We are down here. We're seeing the numbers. If you look at the, the numbers, the one thing that we know for a fact over the next six months, because the data lags, is shelter costs are decreasing. The pace of decreases are increasing, and we're likely to see this get down to 2% unless you saw a big spike in, in food and energy. And the reason why we say even though those are not included in the core, which is what the Fed more closely looks at, they do trickle through to other things. So if we have oil prices go to the moon, that factors into your transportation. It factors into uh, getting goods to market. It's used in fertilizer. It's used in packaging. So it trickles through into all of those things and will lead to inflation further down the line. But all of the leading indicators that we are seeing are showing slower growth, moderating inflation, and we are heading towards 2%. This one, I like to show this every week, Truflation, this has like a 0 0.95, 0 0.97% correlation to CPI, but it's real time. They're taking into account everything. It's a now cast of what inflation is at. They're showing that we are continuing to be under 2%. And if you look there, we've been at that level for 30, 40 days now, and that trend line is aggressively down. This, we talked about that quantitative tightening. This is world liquidity. So uh, this is a chart from B of A. They basically were showing liquidity in the system, the global financial system increasing and then shooting to the moon through uh, that time frame of COVID and then tightening post COVID. So starting at the beginning of 2022. But here recently at the beginning of 2024, we've seen this ease up. So um, without going into the boring arcane details of what the reverse repo market is, um, but you see this reverse repo is trending down hard while the balance sheet is also winding down for the Fed's balance sheet. They are expecting that we will see at least a tapering of quantitative tightening. So maybe it doesn't end, but it's less aggressive, less selling. So there's more supply of mortgage, less supply of mortgages, less supply of treasuries in the market. So when you decrease the supply of anything, the prices should go up, yields, interest rates, mortgage rates should decrease. So that's another thing that's looking good. We got this data this morning. So one of the things that's been really interesting, month after month after month, we get these NFP numbers, the, the non-farm payrolls, where the government, with fun adjustments, I'm not saying they're cooking the books because the adjustments that are dictated to them, they don't get to go back and say, hey, we don't like that number, we're going to adjust it. It says we have to place these adjustments on it. So the birth-death ratio for businesses, which overstate things uh, on the far end of an expansion, all of those things that you guys don't really care about. But every month, we get a really hot number. And we're about, on Friday, to get the January report for 2024. And if you remember, January of 2023 was when we saw this super hot number. This is, there were 500,000 jobs created. It does not jive with anything. And then you dig into it, and you look at those adjustments, and the adjustments were like 800,000. So without the adjustments, we would have seen negative job growth. Without all of these adjustments, 
we wouldn't have seen what the Fed is telling us in terms of the unemployment rate being ultra low, all of those things. So here we were expecting, I believe, 175,000 jobs for January ADP reports, 107. So when we look at that, they've been in this range of about 100,000, and that's um, private employment. It doesn't include uh, government jobs, so it's always going to be a little bit lower than what the NFP number looks like. Um, this one here is important. If you look at the bottom right, the annual pay increase. Job stayers, people who stay on their job, they're getting an annual pay increase of about 5.2%. Job changers is plus 7.2%. During COVID, it was like double the pay raise if you switch jobs. Now that's dwindling and will probably be gone sometime here in the next six months. So Case Schiller, we got this information. Uh, we're looking at just different markets around the country, but month over month uh, for November, the data is lagged there. Um, and more importantly, this is a three month average from the three months before uh, November or heading into November. So this is reflective of the very highest rates, but also as we went into the slowest month. So December, January are the lowest. We're already here at 0.2%. We could see those go flat or even slightly negative here before the spring buying season kicks in. Um, the chart there just shows you your mileage may vary. Miami and Charlotte, hotter. Cleveland, hotter. Vegas, hotter. And Vegas has had a, a tough period and has recovered fairly nicely. Um, existing home sales, we actually had these last week, but I wanted to throw them in here just as a contrast. Month over month, down 1%. Year over year, down 6%. We know existing home sales are in the tank, the lowest level since 1996. We're going to see how quickly rates moderate and how quickly people enter into the market as the spring buying season kicks up. Anecdotally, I can say I'm a little unprepared for tonight because I had seven back-to-back -back calls today. So a lot of people want to get in the market, have questions about getting in the market. We will see how that actually uh, sort of translates over into people buying homes. I uh, expect the numbers will be much better than last year, but probably the second lowest level in the last uh, 25 years or so. Don't expect a, a return to any of uh, the normalcy anytime soon. New home sales on the other side, uh, month over month up 8%, year over year up 4%. And the important piece here, um, I have a friend uh, out in the Marietta area here, inland Southern California. She called, we get her pre-approved, she's well qualified, and then she lets me know, hey, there's some really nice new condos out here, I want to buy one. So a couple of pieces of information of why they would be hotter. So uh, these numbers will be hotter than the existing home sales. She goes in, they force you to get pre-approved. They say, you use our lender, you'll get $30,000. You can use it for upgrades, closing costs, buy down, anything. So she is looking at FHA, a five and a quarter rate. Um, market rate for her qualifications is about 5.99%. So they're paying all of her closing costs, getting her three, per, three quarters of a percent lower in the market. That's why a lot of people are making this decision that, hey, I can afford that. I can qualify for that. I'm comfortable with that. So new homes doing well, existing homes low, but even historically, these are low. This is just a year over year change um, is in a pretty decent range. So we've got some of Jeb chart, Jeb's charts here. I did not get all of them before he left. So inventory is at a lower level than what it was last year, but pretty darn similar. You'll see when we do the comparison. Single family new listings. So 2023 is the little red line, 2022. Um, you, you look, they uh, are a little bit below 2022, a little bit higher than 2023 in terms of new listings for the last week. That's good news. Um, we don't really want to see appreciation. If we had enough homes that everyone could go out and pay a similar price to last year and benefit from lower rates as they trend down this year, that would be a good thing for everyone. If we had two or three years of no appreciation, that would be a good thing. Um, listings where the price drop continues to trend down 
And let's look at this. This gives us a, a breakdown and a comparison. So inventory change fell from 506,000 last year to 503,000 this year. Um, a weekly change. So 506 last week to 503. So the same week last year, it fell from 472 to 466. So we see people come out this time of year and start buying. We also normally see sellers coming to market. So the sellers aren't coming out for the spring selling season. The buyers are coming out for the spring buying season, at least in a greater degree than the sellers are. The inventory bottom for 2022 was 240,000. So we go back two years when we're at the end of peak craziness. We have double the amount of homes to choose from, but still nowhere near historical levels. Inventory peak for 2023 was 570,000. So we're down 60, 65,000 homes nationwide. And then active listings for this week in 2015 were 938,000 uh, or a little more than double where we're at right now. Wanted to throw this in here when we like to talk in terms of, of interest rates and where the market is uh, is going is uh, the spreads. So we had peaked up, I think it was 309 uh, in the middle of last summer and we're down. It actually trended up this last week, at least based off of the uh, the numbers quoted by the Freddie Mac uh, primary mortgage market survey. But with that, we're down at about two and a half, still 0.75% higher than what we see historically. So when we look at rates, if we're saying rates are six and a half, six and three quarters, 7%. Historically, with bond yields where they are, with the economy where it is, we would expect rates to be about three quarters percent lower. And I, I do believe we will see moderation in this. I don't know if we're getting back to 1.7 this year, but my goal, my target, I'd be happy to see that around 2% by the end of the year, which in and of itself without bond yields dropping would save us about a half percent on mortgage rates. The 10-year liked the news that we got today in terms of employment cost index, ADP data, what the Fed said. At first, it didn't like what he said because he wasn't going to cut in March, but then followed through saying, hey, we like what we're seeing. We just want to see more of it. So we're at 3.94. It's the lowest going back, what, two weeks and uh, about half of this retracement. The most important part, those two blue lines show an uptrend or an up channel in bond yields, in interest rates, and we kind of broke back out of that. So it'll be interesting to see where we go moving forward. What does that mean for borrowers in terms of, of interest rates? Optimal Blue is reporting 6.6% uh, as of yesterday uh, on conforming loans, 6.37 on FHA. It's mind boggling to me. Um, the thing to remember here, Optimal Blue is primary, primarily pulling from direct lenders. Direct lenders are not nearly as competitive in general, there are some, but the vast majority of them are not nearly as competitive on FHA or VA loans. They overcharge on those and use it to subsidize their interest rates on conventional loans where they're more competitive. But looking down here into Mortgage News Daily, 30-year fix at 6.75, so they're reporting a higher number than Optimal Bloom. FHA much lower, 6.05. That's the normal spread that we're seeing, that I'm seeing on rate sheets right now. My rates may be lower than that, but that spread of about 0.7, 0.75 between government rates and conforming rates is, is what we would expect. Um, they have VA here right in line with FHA, which also should be correct. So that is the end of our charts. We've got 40 of you here watching, uh, which is uh, uh, obviously, as we said at the top of the show, it's about, I don't know, 20% of what we normally have. So we don't have a lot of questions for those of you who were good enough to have tracked us down and found us over here. Maddie, uh, we we actually decided at the 11th hour that, uh, that I was gonna do this. We've been wanting to try it um, just on the podcast channel. We're only at 3,000 subs, so trying to see 
with 3,000 subs on that channel, how many of you we could get over here? So 42, 43 people watching. I'm pretty happy that we have that number. If you're watching, you found value in it. Um, if if you like the video, give it the old thumbs up. Um, if you like the channel, if you found the channel, if you're new here, we do this every week, every Wednesday, Jeb and I go through the data, all the real estate mortgage and economic data, what's happened, what it means, and what it's likely to mean going forward, in addition to answering your questions to educate and empower you to make good decisions through home ownership. Daniel here with a good comment says, locked in today before the presser at 6.124, 30-year conventional. Figured I just locked in and got out of the way. Market too volatile. I agree. I agree. Um, you, you know, I I don't want to lock right here because I think rates should be moving lower. Um, but what we want and what the market should do and what they actually do are often different things. So especially with that NFP data coming out on Friday and with the specter of last year's super hot January report, inexplicably hot January report, uh, fresh in our memories, probably the right thing to do there in terms of just locking it in and moving on. So, all right, guys, we're here at about 25 minutes in, uh, obviously with the smaller sites, most of you that came here, you got the data, you got the news, you got the information, but we don't have a whole lot of questions. If anyone has a question, throw it in there. I'll hang out for a few more minutes, see if we can answer them. Otherwise, we'll have Jeb back next week. We'll have it on his channel as well, have a bigger audience, bigger selection of questions. Um, but just trying to think if there's any other pearls of wisdom that I have for you right now. Um, not a whole lot other than, again, the Fed is seeing what they want to see. They just want to see more of it. And it's uh, it's getting a little absurd at this point. Um, so <laughs> got a, a, another regular viewer here, SNN Media Production. Notice we're on the Educated Homebuyer, not on the other YouTube channel. Had to look for you. Well, I appreciate you guys doing the search and, and coming out and, and getting here for us. Um, we didn't do it on purpose, not playing games. It's just with Jeb uh, out of town. Uh, it was last minute. We just decided to go live here and check it out. So uh, Love for Puppies has a really good question here. When the Fed cuts rates, how long does it take to show up in mortgage rates? It doesn't take any time at all. Like the market is actually absorbing the data while we are watching it. When the policy statement was released this morning and it said basically don't expect a March cut, we kind of gave back some of the gains that the good data, the, the lower ADP jobs report, the lower employment cost index stuff had given us some improvements this morning and we gave most of that back. Some lenders actually reprised immediately right on that. But Powell comes out, he starts taking questions. We have some really good questions. Nick Timoros at the very beginning of the press conference, if you want to go back in, um, you can find it on the Fed's website. You can watch the entire thing. Um, there were some really good questions. The media does a pretty good job uh, of asking him, and they repeatedly ask, why, 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 why are rates still this high? But the answer to this question is how soon do they show up? That shows up immediately. And what we always like to say is the market does not wait for the Fed. The Fed does not move markets, but the, the markets look to the Fed to kind of see, are, are we right? What do we believe is coming next? So generally, rates will trend up before the Fed starts hiking as they see inflation and they think the Fed is behind the curve. But then the market tries to front run the Fed. And to a degree, we've seen that. October, November, December, rates dropped a percent. We're almost a percent and a quarter lower from the peak. We peaked somewhere near 8%. You saw we're about 6.75% right now. 
and the Fed has done nothing. So the market is as moderated. As soon as the market believes the Fed is going to start cutting, I think you'll see that number much lower. The, the big thing, the line in the sand is going to be when we get 60 basis points lower, when we get to about 3.33%, it's going to take some serious action for us, some serious slowing in the economy, um, some serious reduction in inflation, probably below 2% before we can push through that line. And it's going to see require inflation up around 4% and probably GDP under 1% approaching zero. So we don't need a recession, but we need close to 0% GDP before we would get back to that level. So I think we have a percent of improvement uh, ahead of us between moderation in the spreads and lowering of the Fed funds rate, but it is gonna require confirmation from the economy before it does more than that. Billy, I appreciate you being here. It says, thank you for the show, man. I do appreciate you guys. Um, Jeb and I appreciate you guys being here, asking good questions and giving us a, a forum because believe it or not, just preparing for this, the two of us talking through things, preparing the podcast every week helps us get clear on what we're thinking, push back on each other, read and go through different sources. So no one has a monopoly on knowledge and none of us have a crystal ball, but hopefully we're giving you guys good information so that you can make the right decisions for yourself. So Alma, do you have a formula I can use to figure out if I qualify to remove my PMI? I believe I qualify already. Um, there's not really a, a formula. You can look at the online tools. If you're in, a, in our database, you, you get a HomeBot every month that gives you a number that I think is better than Zillow and Redfin. But you can look at Zillow and Redfin, see what they think your home is worth. And then let me see real quick if I can find the link here. Um, I'm assuming private mortgage insurance. It's a Fannie Mae uh, loan. So Fannie Mae guidelines for removing PMI because they have a nice little page that tells you what criteria you have to uh, to to meet. So let's look at that here and I will throw it in the comments. All right. And I'm going to dig through that. And if you have any questions after looking at it, reach out to me. You can send an email to the show at info at the educated home buyer. Um, but that is uh, the, the quick answer to us. Shane says, thanks for giving us the updates. I love, love the dog there in the photo. Looks like uh, he's got his tongue hanging out. You took him for a long walk and he's a little bit tired there. Um, love for puppies. Another question here. Do you have an opinion as to why Powell did not talk about banks? The banks haven't really been an issue for, for the last year. So um, absent someone giving him questions about it, absent it being an issue that's on the table when the Fed is discussing what they're going to do, um, don't really see them talking about it. Noe64 has a really good question. I want to buy a house before I retire. Is it common for people to have a mortgage during retirement? Historically, no. And what do we say historically? Probably prior to the last 25 years. Our grandparents and our great-grandparents, they bought cheap homes. Cheap historically, but um, not as cheap relatively. The incomes were much lower, but they might have bought a $2,500 home. They might have bought a $12,000 home. They bought in the 60s or 70s, it could have been a 15, 20, $25,000 home, but they took out a 30-year mortgage. When rates were that low, there's not really an incentive to refinance. Cash out refinancing wasn't a huge deal at that time. You were more likely to get a second mortgage and they just paid that thing off. 
So we're seeing people working later, we're seeing people living longer, we're seeing people buying later in life. I think the average age of a first-time buyer is about 38 right now, if I saw the data correctly. If anyone uh, can correct me and has the data, feel free, but I think it's about 38. So people are buying later, carrying mortgage later. Um, I don't necessarily have a problem with it. What we teach, what we coach is once you've achieved a point in life where you have stability and you feel like homeownership is the right thing for you and you can successfully do it, you should. And you should work on paying that loan off. We should only take out cash in extreme circumstances. We shouldn't continually go back to a 30-year loan. We shouldn't continue adding thousands of dollars in closing costs to get a slightly lower interest rate. Your mortgage professional should be able to guide you through that and work towards paying it off over the life of the loan. But that being said, if you have a pension, if you have uh, enough retirement income that you can carry the mortgage, I don't necessarily have a problem with it. Now, if you're telling me you need to buy a million dollar entry level home here in Los Angeles County and you have $5,000 a month of retirement income, probably not realistic, but we've shown on the show here a million times, buy a really nice home for $200,000 in Omaha. And if you have $5,000 of retirement income, that's not going anywhere because it's social security and a pension, anything of that sort, um, there definitely can be ways to, to make it work. So not common, but much more common than it was. And as long as you know you have the income to repay it and it won't keep you from living the life that you want to live, uh, can definitely do it. I was going to say, it's an interesting question. I don't necessarily like the question. So SNN Media says, in 2020, a man was arrested for price gouging of hand sanitizer. I see many homeowners doing the same, i.e. listing their homes 300,000 more than value. Isn't it price gouging also? No, because during the, the, the pandemic, you didn't literally need hand sanitizer, but there was a strong need for it. Um, no one has to buy a house and has to buy it today. We have limited supply. We have limited demand on, on top of that. But the market, how many people want to buy homes, dictates what the value of something is. So I definitely see where you're going. I see the logic there. But um, do we expect homeowners in this situation to be altruistic and go, hmm, we have limited supply right now and these people don't have a lot to choose from. So let me sell it for what folks can afford when I've got 12 people showing up on my door. I had a house this week. My wife and I wanted to put an offer in on it. Very unique location, groovy, original 1976 condition. It needed to be completely redone the way we wanted to do it. Um, and it came in the market. There were 12 offers. 12 offers sold for $70,000 more than the very reasonable price they listed it for. Are they price gouging or are they making a, a property available to the market and the market is telling them this is what it is worth? Um, definitely see where you're going, but don't necessarily think that is the answer. So let's look here. Maddie has a rental with seller financed interest only payments. Once I'm ready to refi out, will I have to come up with the 20% cash? No, absolutely not. Saying, can you use some of the equity? So the loan to value for your new loan will be determined by the appraised value. So say, I know these aren't the numbers, but say you bought it for $200,000 and the seller was kind enough to loan you all $200,000. And five years later, you go back and it appraises for $300,000, interest only loan, you still owe $200,000. Your loan to value is gonna be 66.7% for the 
the purposes of the new lender. You don't have to bring in any money, even though you never brought in money when you bought it. And same for people that are doing an FHA purchase, three and a half percent down, a VA purchase, 0% down, a conventional 3% down, whatever that home goes up to when you refinance, we're going to use that to determine your new loan to value. And conversely, if something happens and the market were to drop, we're going to use the new appraised value. So that is uh, uh, some of the benefits of government loans, FHA, VA, USDA versus conventional Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac loans, because you have the ability to refinance regardless of what the value of the property does. But good question. Shane has a very, very good point. The like button is free. You can show Josh that you appreciate his time. I, I, I appreciate that. Another one we need to show up here is the referral link. Um, so you can use this referral link to get connected with a realtor or a mortgage professional throughout the country. You know, we don't take a lot of time. We don't have as many questions tonight. So I will go through this. I'm not approved everywhere in the country. Our company is approved in about 20 states. Um, owner of the company um, has even more experience than I do. He's done this for about 15 years longer and he's equally awesome. So many of those states, um, I will assist him in helping you where he would be your, your loan officer. But about 30 of the states go to our network, about 20, 18 to 20 of the states come through to me. Seven or eight of those states, I will be your loan officer. Several of them, uh, Al, the owner of uh, our company will be, and I will assist him and be there for you to answer questions, walk through anything with you. So if you would like to get connected to either a realtor anywhere in the country, Jeb just connected uh, a buyer, actually two, two this week, um, one up in the state of Washington. And I don't say this just to be self-serving or to pat Jeb on the back. The teams that he connects with, the agents that he connects with, these people are just super professional. They do their jobs. They're easy to work with. They put deals together. So uh, if you don't have someone that you know, like, and trust, if you don't have a family member that can refer someone that they've dealt with that you feel really good about, use the referral link, even if it's just someone to interview in addition to who you're already talking to. Ooh, Kel. Going to stump the joke man here. Going back to Alma's question, would that link answer about removing USDA PMI? That link will not. So FHA does not allow you to remove mortgage insurance. VA doesn't have mortgage insurance. Fannie and Freddie follow very similar guidelines, so any of those would work. But let's do USDA PMI removal. My gut is they did something similar. You know what? I'm just not seeing it. Oh, with no, it, it looks like it's very similar to, to FHA, um, but it would take a minute here to, to go in and look at it. With USD, I think you were stuck with it uh, either for the life of the loan or for the first um, uh, 11 years. So with that, do not quote me on it. I am not a USDA expert do probably 70% of my loans here in the state of California. And we do not have a lot of areas left that qualify as, as rural. So again, another good question here from Love for Puppies. Is there a reason conventional loans are not assumable like they are for FHA and conventional? Um, well, contradicted yourself, not for conventional. So Fannie and Freddie, um, just the way the servicing agreements are written, they are not eligible to, to be assumed. Um, don't know why. FHA and VA can. I believe USDA as well. I'm not 100% sure. Um, it seems like they would 
have every reason to cooperate with that and have similar guidelines to uh, VA and FHA, but they don't, so don't have a real good answer for that. So Kel follows up with, I'll have it paid off in seven more years. So hopefully, I mean, the good thing about the uh, USDA mortgage insurance, it's really low, it's like 0.35%. So if you're going to have the thing paid off in seven years, it's probably a pretty low monthly amount. So not going to make a huge difference one way or the other in terms of uh, your ability to get by and make the payments and get that thing paid off. Carrie was kind enough to point out that I missed a question. They all run together here. Okay. Can you talk about the tax benefits of an investment property? There, it, it's essentially, you're only going to pay tax on your net income. So you're going to be able to deduct all of your expenses. You're going to be able to deduct taxes, insurance, interest, but not principal. So not all of your payment. So you may say, hey, I'm $200 uh, negative every month, so I shouldn't have to pay any taxes. But if you have a normal amortizing loan, then that payment includes a reduction of principal that might be three or $400 a month. So you do have some positive taxable income. Where that will generally get washed away in the early years of the loan is you can depreciate the structure value. So if you buy a $300,000 property, $100,000 of value is in the land. Let's make it easy for Josh. $275,000 of the value is in uh, in the structure. You can amortize that or uh, you can deduct that. You can deduct uh, a portion of it annually in terms of depreciation. So $275,000 over 27 and a half years, $10,000 a year of depreciation you would be able to deduct. Um, if you travel, you have to travel to the area, it's out of the area, you can have auto expenses. There are other things that you can do uh, to deduct, but those are the, the primary ones. So in, in the early years, you can be positive on that property. I'm cash flow positive on the property in Orange that we've talked about here on the show that I bought during COVID, but the depreciation for the structure value pretty much washes that away. So even though I bring in $500, $550 a month, my depreciation essentially makes that go away over the course of the year. So it, it's really an important question for you to go through with the CPA. If you're thinking about buying, and there are CPAs that specialize in real estate, you can find them online. So uh, an accountant that specializes in real estate taxation that works with investors, you can go into an investment club. Almost every investment club is going to have a couple CPAs as members. Um, I would suggest going through that because they're going to be able to advise you even more and better than what uh, I'm able to. Good follow-up question here. Um, Carrie says, I've recognized, if I've recognized depreciation to sell the property down the road, what are the consequences, if any? So let's go back to that same example and let me kind of clarify it. So they have a $300,000 value, $375,000 value, 100 of it in the land, 275,000 of it in the structure. And let's say you get into it where you've depreciated $175,000. That comes off of your basis. So if you had paid 375,000 and you depreciated 175,000 of it, your basis is now only 200,000. Let's say it's gone up in value and you sell it for 500, you're going to pay taxes on the difference between the basis and the uh, the sale price. So you, you have to factor that in that you're paying tax on the basis, the depreciation reduces your basis. Again, something that you want to go through with the tax preparer, explain your situation and tell them exactly what you're looking at. 
So with that, we've made it 42 minutes in. You guys have had a bunch of really good questions. I thought I might have a couple more things that popped up that with a little bit of time here we could go through. But if you don't have any additional questions, uh, I'll move on to the rest of my evening and you guys can do the same. But I do appreciate you being here. Um, if you're new to the show, if this popped up in your feed, you don't know what in the heck it is. This is the Educated Home Buyer Live. Uh, my co-host who's not here with me tonight, Jeb Smith and I release every Tuesday at 5 a.m. Pacific, an episode of the Educated Homebuyer podcast, where we go through a topic that you need to know to educate and empower yourself to be an educated homebuyer to make the right decisions. On Wednesdays, we get together here for an hour, for about 15 to 20 minutes. We go through all the news and economic data for that week that you need to know to make informed decisions. And then the rest of the show, we just take your questions. Um, I do have one more thing to, to talk about. And before we let you guys go, had an interesting one today. A listener reached out to me, told me how much she loved the show, listens every week. We've educated and empowered her. She feels as though her and her husband have made better decisions based off of listening to the show, but had gone to Ally Bank where they have their funds and then gone to the realtor's lender and didn't give us a call until they're in escrow have their loan going because the loan officer quoted them very good terms, but then didn't and couldn't answer any of the questions. So she had a list of about seven or eight questions. We spent 45 minutes on the phone today, which was charity time, nothing in it for me. She's already getting that loan done. So long way of saying, reach out to us early in the process. Give us an answer, an opportunity to answer your questions, to go through it, because as you said, Every reputable lender should be in a pretty darn narrow range of interest rates. Most people are going to be within an eighth of a percent. And what I can tell you is three months from now, now, three months after closing, you will not remember what your interest rate is. You will remember your experience. Did you close on time? Was it stressful? Did you get your questions answered? Um, or were you confused and having to reach out to other people and, and try and get answers? So don't get me wrong. I was super happy to spend that time. Super happy that we have a dedicated listener that got the answers that she wanted. But reach out uh, if, if we can help. Um, you can reach out through info at the Educated Home Buyer. If you want a referral link to a mortgage or real estate professional, use that link below. But we are here to help. But again, Jeb makes money selling houses here in Orange County, in Southern California. I make money doing loans. I can do it uh, across a much wider area, help people throughout California, throughout most of the West Coast, Arizona, Oregon, Washington. Colorado, Utah, Texas. Um, so most of the states for those of you here on the West Coast. And as I said, uh, one of our company can help you in many uh, other states, about 20 of the 50 states and generally the 20 most populous. There's a few uh, of the big ones. Nevada here on the West Coast is a big one that we don't service because they have some strict requirements on brick and mortar and a resident that lives in the state and works there full time. So a company hopefully will be approved by the end of the year in Nevada. We can help those of you that are there or leaving California, heading out that way. But anything we can do, um, use the link below to request a connection. If you have a question, hit up info at the Educated Home Buyer. We have the episode coming out next Tuesday. What the Fed's looking at, why they haven't cut yet. Um, we probably should have waited and recorded after the, the Fed meeting today. We have some additional insights, some more words out of their mouth. But I still think it was a very valuable episode. We give you some insights into what's happening. Go back out there. We have a 2024 forecast. I still think it's very valid, very accurate of what is likely to happen through the rest of the year. Um, but again, appreciate you guys being here. We made it 45 minutes with only being on one channel and not having the big guys channel in the mix. 
So uh, you guys have a great night. Appreciate you being here. Appreciate the kind words. Appreciate the thanks. And uh, listen to the podcast next week. And we'll be back here with a full show next Wednesday with uh, Jeb back on board. All right. Have a great night, guys. Thanks for listening to The Educated Home Buyer. Want to connect with us or to a local expert in your area? Please reach out at theeducatedhomebuyer.com slash expert. If you found any value today, please be sure to rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. In addition, we ask that you share it with your friends and subscribe to us on YouTube. And make sure to follow us on social media. Thanks again for listening.